0: your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. Thank you, Brother Freddie, for reminding us why the Lamb is worthy. Thank you for your words and, and just praise God for Joe and Debbie and, and their testimony that the Lamb is worthy. This morning, we want to look just at a portion of verse 6 of 2 Peter Uh, chapter 1, and yet I want to begin reading at verse 1 and read down through verse 7 to kind of give us a a larger context and frame. Uh, But this is God's word for us this morning, and uh, here's what God says. "'Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours.' By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Who, is called, who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly uh, affection, and brotherly affection with love. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word There is no word like your word. So now help us by the very presence of your Spirit. Help us to consider these words of yours that we've just read. Stir in our hearts. Be near to us. Open our eyes. Change us by the very power that you give to us through your word. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our focus... For the summer, as we are memorizing Second Peter chapter one, verses one through eleven, our focus for seven of these eleven weeks this summer are on the implications of verses five, six, and seven, the, it, prefaced by the notion of make every effort. There, there is a a right and fitting role of effort in the Christian journey and Christian. Experience as, as followers of Christ, any and all who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to cultivate a, a life of character and virtue. We are to supplement or add to our faith in Christ a life of virtue... That is, um, that we would be a people who, because of Jesus, want to do what's right, what is virtuous, and and it's not just what we do; it's seeping into our very character in being. Uh, and and yet that's predicated on, or that's connected to, uh, wanting to add to our faith virtue, wanting to add to our virtue knowledge. And that is, we want to grow in understanding what is right. We want to do what's right. That's the, the cultivation of virtue, and now we want to figure out what is right, and so we want to pursue knowledge. And now, added to that, this morning we will look at this next trait that we are to cultivate in our lives: self-control. If if virtue is wanting to do what's right, if knowledge is um, wanting to know what's right, to learn what is right then in a sense, self-control is wanting to be able to do what's right. Two things I want us to think about this morning in regard to self-control. First of all, uh, we want to spend most of our time probably just considering self-control, what this is and what it looks like and what it consists of. And then we'll spend a bit of our time before we're done uh, maybe pressing in on uh, how we actually cultivate self-control in our lives. First of all, considering self-control. We're to, we're to make every effort to supplement or add to our faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control. Self-control, what is it? Just some, in some preliminary remarks, self-control is control of one's self. Years of college, years of seminary, has qualified me to give highly sophisticated definitions. <laughs> i was a genius, yeah. Uh, but to unpack that, for, I mean, literally, literally the, in the very language that Peter wrote, what he originally wrote, it, uh, self-control. The, the 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 imagery of self-control is literally to get a hold of yourself, to to get a grip on yourself. I think we've lost that sort of notion in our society today as being relevant and important. It sounds too mean and harsh. And yet the Scripture calls us who name the name of Jesus to be people who would make every effort to cultivate a sense of self-control, in our lives, to be able to, and in particular, to be able to govern one's self, in particular, to govern one's desires. In other words, there's a, I think there's a, again, the brilliance of Peter writing this, there's a slight nuanced difference between what he says here and what he implies here with cultivating self-control and what he'll imply next time uh, in cultivating steadfastness. Cultivating self-control is really located primarily on the internal conflict that we have within us. Being in control of oneself, even as we try to manage and govern uh, desires, competing desires, even ornery and evil desires in our hearts. Whereas steadfastness is really connotes the ability to respond to not the internal uh, conflict that we have, but external circumstances that we find ourselves in—hard, difficult external circumstances—the ability to respond. Properly and rightly in the midst of difficult uh, externals, whereas self-control is is the starting point. It, it is it is um, uh, it, it is the consistently knowing how and having the ability to say yes to what we need to say yes to, and the ability consistently to say no to what we need to say no to. Now, the the problem with somebody has to stand up here and preach this morning, and the problem is is that uh, that falls upon me. And and what we're not implying here is, man, that Joe, he must really be an expert in self-control. I mean, after all, he's the guy that's actually talking to us about it. Well, we're all in a process of, of, of learning how to take what is true and what God calls us to be and to do and to flesh that out and to Work that out into our lives, and so I—I uh, I certainly want to be someone who uh, pays attention and 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 wants to do everything the Scripture tells uh, me to be and to do. But just like any of us. Um, this is a learning curve. And, uh, and, and if you don't believe me, you could grab Diane afterwards and say, hey, is your husband an expert in self-control? And she'll look at you crosswise like, huh? Uh, Joe? Yeah, but it, it, anyway, but, but we want to press on. We, we want to do this for the glory of God. We want to do this out of all the goodness of God's grace that he supplies for us. We, we want to be people who people would say of us, there, there is a growth. There is a characterization of that person that we are self-controlled. Um, now, what I don't mean by self-controlled is that we are self-determined. That, In other words, that, that we are people who live autonomously, that is, without anybody or anything, even God. In fact... Um, when, when the Scripture speaks of self-control, it speaks of it in the context of every single one of us are always living our life daily before the presence of God. And really, when we talk about self-control from a biblical framework, we are talking about our own personal responsibility before God. Each of us are responsible before God... ...for how we live. And each of us will render an account of our lives before God. And starting with that and then working backwards... ...then that filters down to who we are today... ...and the kind of choices that we seek to make today. Knowing that we are personally responsible before God... ...begins to color and, and orient us to the need to cultivate... ...and to display a, a sense of self-control... to to govern our desires in this life right here, right now. Self-control is, on the one hand, it is about inner strength. And on the other hand, self-control, which we'll talk about when we get to the second point, is not self-generated. But self-control is an essential character trait that enables us to obediently follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone comes after me, let him deny Himself. There's a sense at the, the very starting point. And didn't you hear that in the testimonies this morning in baptism? I, I heard them hearing what Jesus said, that we start to follow Jesus with a sense of self-control slash self-denial. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Self-control is, 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 a, is an important linchpin. It is an important gateway in our gradual trans, uh, transition from being spiritually immature, which is where we all start, to being, to, to being spiritually mature, which is, which is what we aspire to be and to become. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, teaching us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, godly, Upright lives in this present evil age. In other words, this is doable. It's doable not because we inherently have what it takes to be self controlled, it's doable because God's grace is enough. I find it interesting, very intriguing, in fact, that in, in Acts 24, as, as Peter had, and our fifth. fifth Fourth, fifth, and sixth graders uh, did a dramatization of this in the last night of Vacation Bible School. But as as Peter was, I'm sorry, as Paul was talking to Governor uh, Felix in Acts chapter 24, it's interesting, he was talking to Felix about faith in Christ, but then Luke goes on to explain that that um, w- w- when he was explaining to Felix about faith in Christ, he was explaining to Felix uh, 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 just a larger um, format of faith in christ for paul faith in christ for any follower of christ overlaps and and touches on matters of righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment again we are we are each personally responsible before god for how we live And that frames the context for why self-control is such a vital linchpin or gateway to being able to stand before God. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Since we're on the eve of the Olympics here in just a a, a couple of weeks, the Apostle Paul likens this. Christian ministry, his Christian life to, to an athlete, and he, he, he describes athletes who need to exercise self-control so that they run in such a way to win the prize. That's really the, the, the calling upon each of us if we name the name of Jesus. Add to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge, and add to your knowledge self-control. And what that practically plays out to look like And that's why this is so much easier to preach on self-control than it is to practice self-control. But what it plays out to look like is self-control means that I will take my preferences to life and I will subdue them. I will take my thoughts and words that I would otherwise spew out and I will put them in check. That I will take my reactions to circumstances and situations and I will choose to restrain them. That I will take my whims and, and wants and I will sacrifice them. All for a larger matter of life being lived in the presence of God for His glory and in good service to others. Remember how we talked a few weeks ago how we started with it starts with faith in Christ, and then the last trait on the list is love. It, 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 what really matters most in life is faith in Christ and love for others. and yet, how do we get there? How do we get from being a person who believes in Jesus to a person who genuinely understands a thing or two about how to, how to do love right? Well, in the stuck in the middle here is if we 're if we're to be people who know how to love each other well we, we have to be people who who know something about uh, the the warrant of self control and the need to cultivate self control. Now, let me offer a couple of clarifications, just under the rubric of 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 considering self control. And uh, this first clarification is tricky. What about happiness? Um, uh, what what about my happiness? I think God made us with a desire of happiness. And I think desiring happiness per se is not the problem. And, and therefore, what I mean by that is the conflict isn't between, look, you're either self-controlled or you're pursuing happiness. Which one is it you wanting to do? Because you can't do both. That's not really the way that the New Testament, the Scriptures frame, uh, what it looks like to be a person who lives morally and good. No, it, it, it's, it's not the entrance of sin into the universe that has, uh, that has created this desire for happiness. This, this desire for happiness was created by the very God who made us. He's a, he's a happy God, and he made us to want to find happiness in him. No, what sin has done, and this is horrible what it's done, sin has enslaved us in our consideration of what happiness consists of. Sin has blinded us from being able to truly know and to pursue uh, uh, um, uh, the right direction of happiness. So that We were born, we were made by God with a desire for happiness. But but being sinful creatures now in Adam, what that means is that we are willing to pursue anyone or anything but the Lord God in our quest for happiness interesting. Remember the passage well while ago in Luke 9, 23? If anyone would, uh, would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The very next verse, verse 9, Luke 9, 24, says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So, Self-control is a vital aspect, a vital component in us seeking the Lord. Not happiness, but seeking the Lord. Not seeking the Lord as a means to an end, but seeking the Lord as an end in itself. We, if we seek happiness, you and I will never even though we were made to desire happiness. But sin has distorted that desire. But seek the Lord and we will find Him. And when we find Him, our hearts will be happy. It's a consequence of truly loving and living for and praising the Lord God. Some. 73, verses 25 and 26, says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Sounds like a happy guy to me. So self-control is used to deploy in our lives so that we practically, consistently turn to the Lord and turn back to the Lord time and time again. We, 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 we know how to control the evil desires that still lurk and fester in our hearts, and we know how to then pursue our greatest pleasure, the most satisfying desire in the very God who made us. Another clarification, briefly, is part of self-control has to be customized. And what I mean by that is um, you have particular weaknesses that I'm not natively inclined to, to have as a weakness. And uh, and I have particular weaknesses that probably doesn't make a, a bunch of sense to you because you don't have particularly have... the. We all have weaknesses. Uh, but we have... Uh, Particulars, customized weaknesses. We all have personal vulnerabilities. There's some things that for which you are more vulnerable to than I am more personally vulnerable to, and vice versa. There's things that, are, that I'm more personally vulnerable to, That that is a particular uh, evil desire that would lead me away from the living God, that that, that wouldn't be a particular customized um, uh, vulnerability or weakness that you would have. And so I say all that just to say for this time, part of self-control is knowing, so what are the particulars of your your weaknesses, the areas that are even more arduous to display a sense of self control? What are the areas of your vulnerabilities? Being alert and being, having, a, having that kind of self knowledge and self awareness is, is essential if we are to know then, then I, I must go on heightened alert. Now, this is a silly example, but, but if chocolate is your downfall, what are you doing with eight pounds of chocolate in the kitchen pantry? Or if certain images on the internet are your downfall, that it feels at that moment you have no concept or category of self-control. What are you doing footloose and fancy-free, uh, un- unaccountable in-, in terms of what you get to watch and see? In other words, know, know know that there are certain things that will get one of us that won't get the other of us, and and, and yet know what that is, and that builds into how we cultivate a sense of self-control. And a third clarification. When I say the word government, what do you think of? I think most of us, when we think of government, we think of of politics. We think of, this, the, we think of civil government, you know, people ruling over us, people governing us. Uh, uh, and, and I think biblically there, there is a legitimate bona fide category of civil government in the, in the Scriptures. And, and yet, I would suggest to you that when we think of the term, term government, we could swap that in and out with the term self-control you and I need to develop bigger, stronger categories of self-government. The the ability to control and regulate our attitudes and our actions without the need for external coercion. Our own moral character is, is really the underpinning for how a constitutional republic could function in the first place. If we don't know how to govern ourselves, then no degree or amount or categories or layers of civil government will adequately do the job. Either we are a kind of people who are growing in how to obey the law of God from our own hearts, or we will have to be a people who are forced to obey. Uh, Either we will have an internal governor uh, or, or, or we will need an external governor. I say that on the birth of our nation, not that we have always gotten it right or not that everything we have done is good. And yet there was a certain brilliance to the design of our republic, but that presupposed that we were a people who knew how to govern ourselves. No. Briefly, something about cultivating self-control. Speaking of civil government, I, 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 and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be political today, um, but, but honestly, if you, if you study the Scriptures, civil government has its place, but civil government is best in the categories of correction and punishing. Civil government, I don't believe, can teach self-control in a formative way, in a tr- positive training fashion. But God has left us with spheres of government, if you would, to teach us self-government. He has given us the home. He has given us the church. And the church and the home is wonderful blessings from God by which you and I, our children and our grandchildren, could learn something of self-control, of self-government. That we would start with our children and our grandchildren at an early age and, and begin to orient them to the need to figure out what self-government consists of. And yet we do that in a structured parental environment in which, in which we are allowing them to face the consequences of a lack of self-control. So that they begin to sort out and connect the dots and grow in wisdom. So that as they grow and develop chronologically, they are also growing in an awareness of the benefit of self-government and self-control. And if they never learn that lesson, then that's where civil government has an important place. Because civil government then has its function of punishing and and correcting us when we don't have self-government cultivated in our hearts. See, because an otherwise an, an ungoverned person resorts to vice to satisfy his or her desires. He or she steals. He or she vandalizes. He or she murders. He or she violates others. Because he or she has never quite figured out the importance of self-government. And yet having said that, what I said earlier is self-control, while it is something that we are accountable before God to cultivate... Self-control is not self-generating. You and I do not pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and out of the sheer willpower of our own uh, internal mechanisms, make ourselves a more self-controlled person. You see, the starting point in our passage this morning is has not been self-control, even though that's where we spent the most of our time considering. No, in this context, self-control is something that you and I must personally make every effort to, to cultivate, but that's done in the context of, first of all, verses 1 and 2, the, what, it, what, what, what self-control and our need to cultivate self-control is predicated upon is that you and I truly live in relationship with Jesus. In Galatians 5... Uh, verses 24 to 26, self-control is an evidence of the Spirit of God in our lives. Isn't that quite ironic? You and I can't be in control of ourselves. We can't have the capacity and the ability to control ourselves until the Spirit of God moves in our hearts and lives. Uh, so while we make every effort to cultivate self-control, we do that out Of the abundance of the grace that the Spirit of God gives to us when He moves in our hearts and lives. We, for the very first time, become people that it's now reasonable to think that we could be self controlled. You say, now wait a minute, Joe, you mean I couldn't be self controlled without Jesus? Then why does God tell me to be self controlled? Well, God's commands are not a reflection upon our abilities. God's commands are a reflection upon the very nature and character of God. God tells us to be self-controlled because guess what? That's a reflection of God's own nature and character. And yet when God tells us to be self-controlled and we don't have the divine resources to do that, then that ought to break us. That ought to bring us to the end of ourselves. And we say, I can't do what you asked me to do. I need help. And that's when God says, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now you and I are about to agree with each other. I've, I call you to exercise self-control. You now realize you don't, you don't have the innards, the goods to do that. But you're looking to me and asking me, I got this, the Lord says. And it begins by knowing who Jesus is. It begins by realizing that the only perfect person who ever put his foot on this earth, who displayed self-control... Flawlessly was the one who went to the cross and bore up under the curse, the judgment, the wrath of our sin. He did that willingly. He did that gladly. He did that with complete control of himself. He set his face to die on the cross for people such as us and any and all who call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be pardoned uh, of a whole host of things, including our lack of self-control. But we will be more than pardoned. We will be empowered by the very presence of Jesus. See, he says there in verses 3 through 4 that that, we, that His divine power has granted to us everything uh, that pertains to Life and godliness, a godly life. Self-control pertains to a godly life. And so his divine power is granted to us everything we need to pursue this critter called self-control. That through the precious and great promises of God's word, we experientially become partakers of the divine nature, he says. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. We've escaped We've escaped being dominated by a life of evil desire so that we could be a people who follow Jesus obediently. He's pardoned us because we haven't previously, but he's now empowered us that that's now the new start, the fresh journey of life that we are on. We pursue Jesus, and we do that by cultivating self-control in all sincere earnestness because he has given to us the divine power to do such. Thank you, Father. Thank you that everything you require from us, you first grant to us. And so we thank you for Jesus who has gone before us in displaying what true humanity looks like, a life of governing oneself before the face of the Father. And we're thankful that Jesus has not only fully and and completely pardoned us for our lack of self-control. But he has given to us now everything we need to begin to consistently live a life of self-control. Everything we need to cultivate a life of self-control. And so we end by praising you and all the goodness of what you have done for us. We gather and we say, oh Lord Jesus, we love you you, and yet our love for you is predicated upon the great love for which you have given to us. So we pray these things in Jesus' name.